right, we're live now, Andy. Um, okay. Intro is cool. Did you compose this? No, no, I just ripped it off something. Gonna make some money. <laughs> Gonna talk some dollars. Welcome to Andre and Andy Finance, <laughs> where everything is in question and everything's questionable. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, so welcome to this is our first our first uh podcast on actual equipment yep it's quite fun we've got microphones yeah microphones I'd like to shout out our sponsors which is me and andre at this stage <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> actually the, forever, the, the the royalty free music website it's called bensound.com so yeah. if you don't pay for it you have to uh you have to like mention them so there we go we'll there you go them. so and i guess yeah we'll, we'll um start with the disclaimer in in terms of i guess what we're talking about this we're not providing advice this is uh, just discussion on topics. We're not recommending things. and Yeah, none of us sh- have licenses to give advice. And yep. for all you know, you know, we're, we, we could just be completely idiotic scumbags who are trying to rip you off. So you should, you know, always caveat emptor. What does uh, that mean? That's buyer beware in Latin, I think. Yeah. You're not, you're not buying anything. <laughs> emptor. Yeah, yeah. Caveat. Caveat. Yeah. I don't know. I don't speak Latin. Yeah. Waco. Yeah, okay. Um. Uh, cool. So yeah, I guess we got we got the the equipment. Looking for a hosting service. I've been checking that stuff out, so we can start uploading this thing. Yeah. At some point, but um. So yeah, we're talking to a non-existent audience at this stage. Yeah. And and probably it once it's uploaded too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, well, how's your week in investing? Better than the week before, or what? Oh uh, well, I mean, yeah, a week in investing. If you're a long-term investor, which is what I aim to be, shouldn't matter. Yeah. Um, but. I guess my portfolio is probably higher than it was the the prior week. Yeah, I didn't um, you know have to cut off a gangrenous arm like I did when I sold that copper mine. Yeah, um, the Papua New Guinean. It's not even a copper mine. It wants to be a copper mine. It once was a mighty copper mine. Um, but yep. yeah, you know I had to amputate that 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 limb, and there were no amputations this week. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, amputations I guess are, are emotionally disturbing in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's probably pretty stable the portfolio. What one thing I do want to bring up actually is, um, like I, I like this metaphor of, of being an investor who's kind of like a, a deer hunter or, or some other hunter where you're sitting there with um, you know, the the rifle or whatever, and you're just as quiet as you can be, and, and you're waiting for an animal to to come past you that then you know hopefully you shoot in the head, and and that's your kill. And it occurred to me, you were talking about Warren Buffett buying some insurance company recently that he'd been watching for 40 years or whatever. What was the name? Yeah, Allegheny or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Warren Buffett had been sitting there with that rifle for 40 years waiting for Allegheny to walk past and, you know, look left and right and then just start eating grass really slowly. And, and, you know, old Warren had as much time as he wanted to pull the trigger and shoot that baby in the head. Um, And... That's a that's a pretty good way to invest, you know. Yep. If, uh, if you're like, all right, um, I know these things exist. I know what price I think they're worth. I'm gonna, you know, keep a general eye on them. Mm. And one day they might just walk into my sights and start eating grass, and I'll just pull the trigger. So, yep. um, there there was a company um that that I have been watching. Um, I I I wanted to buy it five or six years ago, but saw something you know shinier and brighter and didn't. And, and it went up, I think, three or four hundred percent in yep. that time. Um. Went from like four dollars to twenty dollars, and then it's dropped down to seven something, um, where it, where it sits now. Anyway, um, 
yeah, this this company has been on my um list and my my watch list, I guess you'd say, where I, I do research on companies and then keep a list of ones that I, I think I might like to buy at some point. And yeah. they they had a, an announcement which was just basically business is fine. Yeah, uh, the market. I think the price was down, expecting business to to not be fine. Yeah, but they had an announcement saying business is fine, and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'll pull the trigger. So mm. yeah, um, that was on my watch list, and I was I was like a deer hunter who used a rifle. Maybe. Oh, sorry. So this happened this week. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so I pulled the trigger on this company. Um, and yeah, they they apparently they're best in class and what they do. So they talk about you know buy companies that have moats. And and being the best at something is is a, a moat. Yeah, it's um. So maybe can you can you clarify that term? Well, yeah. In the old days, they used to have castles, and people would try to attack the castles. Yeah. And and the people defending the castle would have a moat. Yeah. To to stop the attackers, and and yeah. that, that's now been applied to businesses where um, there's there's something that stops the business's competitors taking it, that business's position. Yeah. So Google has um. Uh, I'm assuming it's probably got the most efficient and accurate search engine. Mm-hmm. So that that's a moat. There's um it, that that protects it from competitors. Any competitor to Google has to have at least a better search engine than Google. Yep. Probably, um, unless you know there's privacy things. But in in general terms, you know, you, you want the best search engine when you do a search. If Google's got that, and they've also got the network effect where so many people use Google which means they probably get a whole bunch of information that boosts their algorithms and their search capacity, which maybe makes it close to impossible for any competitor to even catch them, seeing as Google, I would imagine, has a massive database that other competitors just can't access. And the yeah. database is coming from the searches that they get because they're the number one search engine. Yeah. So that, that's an example of a moat. And that, that stops competitors taking the castle. Mm-hmm. The castle being the number one position or the economic advantage, something where a, a business doesn't have to be a price taker, the business gets to be a price maker. Yeah. So that's that's a, a business that has a moat, isn't selling for whatever price they can get. Yeah. They they can add a premium to it. So Coca Cola versus RC Cola or home brand Cola yeah. or whatever, people pay more for it. It probably has the exact same dollar input of sugar and or whatever chemicals are in it, yep. but Coca Cola gets a bigger profit margin. So, is because is of Apple, that an example of that. I think Apple would be. Yeah, it's people are on the Apple ecosystem, and it's probably a bit sticky and hard to get off the ecosystem. Yep. For example, I I'm not a big fan of Apple, yet mm. I own Apple things, and and even though on 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 I've dealt with Apple before and been unimpressed. Yeah. So. Uh, I, on on what level, like a customer service yeah. level, like w- warranties or something? Or? Yeah, customer well, uh, customer service level. I uh, I don't want to get sued by Apple, but I haven't <laughs> been happy with their customer service. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I I still use Apple products though, yeah. and just recently bought another one, annoyingly. But it's what was it? Yeah, uh, I bought an iPad for the kids. Yeah, okay. They they've wanted one, and I've told them if they do more tidying around the house they can use the ipad in exchange for tv tokens they get tokens to watch tv yeah that's so, such a, um have we, we haven't talked about that before but i think that's a pretty cool system yeah so we didn't want the kids nagging us to watch tv all the time so we we gave them a, a quota of tokens a week which equals half an hour worth of tv and, yep. and they have to spend that it's an introduction to getting this concept of 
money and and the finite nature of things. Yep. And and they have to earn the tokens by cleaning their room, which, yep. which isn't major. But yeah, and they're good kids, you know. They're in their thirties, and <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, they're little kids. Uh, anyway, so yeah, we bought them an iPad so they can draw on it. And they can use their TV tokens instead of watching a TV. Yep. And and they can do stuff. Uh, uh, and the iPad apparently that was easier to use than other similar things for kids who want to do drawing and stuff but yeah. it also means i can use whatever account i have with apple to yeah. save stuff and yeah. but no buy things i guess maybe apps or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah. a- apple's moat would be the fact that it's got good brand recognition it's got a network that once you're on yeah it's difficult to get off um maybe maybe the app store itself maybe it's you're less likely to get scammed with apple apps and non-apple ecosystem apps i don't know but there's there's obviously something there because people people stick to it and people like me who don't even like them end up buying their stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, cool. Yeah, so this company that I bought mm. the deer in there in 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 my um rifle line, it's it's apparently uh, really good at making metal detectors. And yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, it's it, it's it's not interesting in that sense uh, making metal detectors, but that's kind of a dream company, something that make some incredibly boring product that yeah. no one's thinking Elon Musk isn't out there saying I want to change the world by making metal detectors so yeah. you got these guys you know, working away at making metal detectors and, and constantly improving their metal detectors and if so is that literally like the, the one you'd use for like speculating for gold and stuff like for yeah what's what's the word for not panning but yeah they go around and yeah. isn't that boop, they call they call it speculating maybe I don't know yeah. I thought speculating on gold is when you buy things like the yeah, you know, gold futures and all that sort of stuff. But maybe it is. Yeah. Prospecting. Prospecting. That's the one. Prospecting. Pardon me. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think they're, they're, they're apparently, I haven't done as much research as I should, but mm. I've, I've researched them over the years and, and they, they're, they're well regarded for these metal detectors. So, how did, you, how did you get on to, 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 like, how did it enter your consciousness? That's a good question. So, I, I don't remember how I used to do my screening, but. I think in some of the brokerage platforms, or maybe I was using a third-party service I paid for, I can't remember, but you can screen companies. It, it, the capacity exists to screen companies based on their cash flow, their earnings, various... Say say you screen it by from price to earnings, what, what multiple of earnings mm. is the company? So I think the ASX is typically averaged 15 times earnings. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of price to earnings as a measure. I think price to cash flows better mm-hmm. because earnings can be accounting shenanigans in yeah. some ways or as cash flow and then the tax you pay, yeah. you don't deliberately pay tax. So yeah. if you look at how much a company is paying in tax, that will tell you, give you a good idea of what they're actually earning and having to pay money on. Anyway, um, so you can do screens and I might have, I, I used to just look at companies, like screen companies, all the ones trading at a price to earnings of say under 13 and then I'd look at that and say, oh, okay, this one's some um, company that doesn't sound like I'm interested in it. Uh, so for you're, whatever sorry, reason. You're, uh, just sorry to interrupt. Your trading platform allowed you to just like say, like it was like filtering options like you would on like a file explorer on a computer. Yeah, of. maybe it wasn't my trading platform. Maybe it was a third party provider. Yeah, okay. Like Guru Focus is one yeah. that is in America. Uh, is that similar? Seeking like the- Alpha maybe allows it too. That's another platform. Uh, 
I've both used them and Seeking Alpha I like it's got lots of articles and stuff you have to pay eventually for the articles yeah. I, I used to pay for all this sort of stuff yeah. uh, th- those services I, I don't now maybe maybe I should again I don't know but it's I'll, I'll have a smaller portfolio and I'm less hyperactive than I used to be when, yeah. and, and, and committing less time as well to, yeah. to, to the research but yeah, so I, I screened and, and, and filtered based on things like price to earnings and I can't remember what other measures, uh, maybe price to book. Mm. And then I'd, I'd find ones that have a price to earnings of, of say 13 and below and a price to book of one to two or less than two price to book. So that's basically the price of the company is less than two times the actual assets the company has. Yeah, Because a company that say trades at a billion dollars doesn't necessarily have a billion dollars in assets. You might have $100,000 in assets or a million dollars in assets or mm. $500 million in assets. It could be any number. Uh, it could even be more than a billion dollars in assets. Mm. But if you, if you find companies that are trading, these are value investing measures that may or may not be the best thing. But I looked at things that had a low price to earnings ratio and a low price to book ratio. And then that that would be in, in what would be in basic terms, traditional value territory. And then I'd look at companies that then look like simple businesses that I can understand that hopefully have some best-in-class type characteristic or close to best-in-class type characteristic, maybe some moat-like characteristic. And then I'd either buy them or do more research. I'd do more research on them and then potentially buy them or not buy them. And the ones I didn't buy, I might just watch for years Yeah, if, if it's a good company. Uh, another thing maybe someone could do is just look at what they think the best companies are with moats. At the at the the Googles and whatever, and then just wait for them to drop in price into a price range you're comfortable paying. Yeah, I think that. I mean, uh, I mean, I guess I've only just started doing like I've even uh, like my watch list is only two or three months old or something like that. But I'd say that's that's what I did. I sort of looked around at the the products in my life that I that I love and and I guess believe in or whatever, and with a moat, what I perceive to be a moat, mm. and. Uh, yeah, and I've just been watching them. So yeah, in recent times, in particular Toyota, I just love Toyota. You love Toyotas, and that's on your watch list. Yeah, yeah, that's yep. and, and so uh, yeah, I've been watching that. That come, you know, sort of follow the market volatility and things like that. And yeah, and but then you know, uh, beyond just a reference of watching the price go up and down, uh, I don't really have the ability to, I guess, determine the value of it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, the other week, I think maybe last week, you asked me what books to read or, or something. What? Yeah, I think oh, that might have been in the very first chat we had, I think. Yeah, and, and um, there's, a, there's a book that I lent you called Financial Statements. I, I yeah. can't remember who it's by, but that's, that's, that's a book someone who's looking at learning to invest and pick yeah, individual yeah, stocks should read. Something on how to read financial statements. Mm. I, I know some people. And I have chats with friends who invest and mm. I was very surprised to learn that one of my friends who invests doesn't know how to read financial statements. And I said, in my opinion, you shouldn't be investing if you don't need to read, yeah, know how to read financial statements. And so he, what, what do you think his... Oh, there. Uh, his. Yeah, his. Uh, what do you think his... his um, I guess the way he operates is it, is it just goes on like... He buys managed funds. Oh, so he said, "I don't need to read financial statements." <laughs> yeah, okay. So if if you're buying if you're buying the index, for example, yeah, you, you don't need to read financial statements. Yeah. So yeah, he buys he buys managed funds and and uh, isn't really uh, maybe he buys individual stocks, 
from time to time, but he might have different criteria. Uh, so in terms of managed funds, he does just like broad index ones or he does like industry ones? Or He, he likes to find, uh, I hope I'm not misrepresenting him. Uh, he, he might listen to this one day. He, he likes to find managed funds that are managed by, inve- that have managers who are value investors. Yep. And when they're trading at a discount to net tangible assets. So uh, net tangible assets would be the fund might have a billion dollars worth of assets, right? And the assets are shares in other businesses. So it's not, it's, it's easily calculable, mm. those assets. It's not saying, for example, we've got this building and it may be worth X or it may be worth more or less than X. It's, it's we have shares in companies and the price of those companies is on the stock market every single day we know exactly how much our tangible assets are our tangible assets are for shares are shares that are for sale constantly so there's there's no no great guesswork in in what the tangible assets are it's, there's the value of the shares they have effectively and you you get this a lot you get managed funds that trade on the stock market that trade at a discount to the net tangible assets, which means you can buy shares in the managed fund that owns other shares for less than the it would be to buy that exact same portfolio on the open market. Mm. And you also get times where you can buy managed funds with a premium. So mm. you're, you're paying more for the managed fund than if you just went on the market and bought those shares in the same proportion yourself. Yep. And it's insane, but it happens. And it's actually not insane, but it, it did my head in for years and years. And I was constantly, as someone who likes to see things, you know, value, mm. oh, wow, this managed fund is trading at a 10 or 15% discount to net tangible assets. That's a bargain. I'll buy it. Yeah. Uh, I'd look at the investments they have. And if they're investments I wasn't mad at, I'd research their companies. Yeah. If I didn't know them and, and think, okay, I don't mind these investments they have, the underlying investments. What I found was though, the market, didn't agree with me and mm. they could trade at a discount to NTA for years yeah. and, and better opportunities might come along. A company usually, a managed fund will usually trade at a discount to net tangible assets because the market is saying, we think management is so bad at picking shares that they're a liability to the business and therefore we're, we're not willing to pay full price for the shares they own. Mm. We're paying less than full price because we think management is that incompetent that they're going to destroy value. Yeah. And you get other ones that trade to premium because they must think management's fantastic. And even though we're overpaying for the shares technically, there's some secret sources management has that's going to make us heaps of money and, mm. and people pay premium for that. We don't want to miss that train. So where does one find, find these metrics? Uh... Well... Uh, a simple one there's, there's a, a fund I'm not saying buy this or, or not buy it or whatever but I, I know it exists mm. it's, uh, it's FGX is mm. the code on the Australian Stock Exchange mm. um, I can't remember the name of the, of the business but it, it's, a, it's like a managed fund that uses other fund managers to manage investments and those other fund managers I think do it pro bono and then a percentage of the managed funds FGX earnings then go to charity or something mm-hmm. so the fund managers would normally charge to manage investments but these fund managers do it on a pro bono basis I think and then what what FGX would have paid in fees I think then goes to charity instead 
Um, I don't know about that one because it's an interesting model. It's kind of like a, a mix between finance and, and charity, which I found interesting. But that, that trades at a discount to its net tangible assets. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you can go on the ASX website, the Australian Stock Exchange, asx.com.au probably website, mm-hmm. and find investments in different categories like materials, consumer staples maybe different categories and and i think there's probably something on that website for managed funds and that's something i've done in the past too just gone on you're talking about the 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 the, like the etp list or whatever yeah something like that yeah Yeah. um i I think maybe maybe i'm not talking about that but something like that And, and i've gone on that before and just looked at managed funds from a to z yeah seeing what kind of investment style they have and, and seeing if they trade at a discount to net tangible assets and, mm-hmm. and sometimes I've bought them and, and usually I then get bored holding them and see something bright and shiny and sell the managed fund shares and chase a bright, bright and shiny thing mm-hmm. but yeah this person who can't read financial statements which I was very surprised about made the point that it's not a big deal he he researches fund managers and yep. and then will buy into the funds if they, if they seem like they're good funds to buy into. Yeah. And I guess in sports, for example, you can know a good sports team without being a sportsman yourself or a coach. Mm. How can you say the Penrith Panthers are a really good rugby league team? You're not a football player. You're not a coach. So mm. yeah, but I, I can see them winning games all the time. <laughs> Maybe that's an indication. Yeah. So for this person, he, he's got various metrics he might look at. Uh, Maybe looks at alpha and beta, the the volatility of the stock relative to the rest of the market, that sort of stuff, and and might use that as a criteria. Yeah, and uh, uh, obviously he must have achieved some success that he's happy to keep investing in. Yeah, yeah, the guy works in finance. He's not. Yeah, he's not someone who doesn't know anything. That's why I was so surprised he didn't have to read financial statements. Yeah. But but his 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 work in finance does not require that. He's in financial strategy, yep, and that space. What what constitutes financial strategy? Like, so if if someone goes to a financial advisor, for example, yeah. then the financial advisor will have to put together a strategy. <clears throat> what what assets go where? What assets should be in superannuation? What assets might be in a company? What assets might uh, be in a yeah. trust? Uh, how how once someone plans for life insurance and and death and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So. This, this person works in that financial advice strategy type space. Yep. And, and in that, they, they can construct portfolios, but yep. a typical financial advisor probably isn't picking individual stocks. They're yep. probably picking fund managers they think yep. might be appropriate. So it's like somewhat of a, oh no, hygienist is not. A, uh, so, uh, yeah, power planner. Yeah. This person is qualified to be a financial advisor, but the power planners are typically the nerdier people yeah typically the financial advisors are the ones who wear the suits and shake hands nicely yeah so so planners do the the grunt work and and often liaise with a financial advisor to put together strategies yeah okay. sometimes the advisor just tells the paraplanner what to do and the paraplanner then models it and sees what it looks like together maybe the financial advisor says there's you know a b and c options mm-hmm. paraplanner puts them all together and then see which ones actually fit together better yeah uh, sometimes the financial advisor will say to the power planner, this is what I'm thinking. And the power planner will say, well, have you thought about this and this and yep. that and the other? And then the financial advisor will reassess based on the conversation with the power planner. Mm. So there's, there's lots of nuances to financial advice, tax law. Uh, um, what else? I mean, the, the, the estate planning, insurance, 
regulations and, 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 and the way insurance funds work. So the power planners are often a bit nerdier and no no more details and, and are more current with that sort of stuff. Yeah, okay. And they work with a financial advisor to put a piece of advice together. So what what, what are those the, those type of uh, or advisors and power planners, what, what are they usually dealing with? Like, you know, what sort of money do I have to have to go to one of those? Um, you have to have enough to pay their advice fee. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and and that too. So, like, what's what are they what are they going to sting you? How much money do they expect you to have? Well, uh, different planners have different models. There there are some that do fee for service, which is basically it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're paying a set fee. Yeah. There are others who take a percentage of your your assets. Yeah. I'm imagining if someone goes to a, para, a, a financial advisor with ten thousand dollars in assets, and the advisor is taking one percent then they might not be very interested in that yes. client. Yeah, okay. Uh, if you go with $100 million in assets yeah. and the advisor's taking 1%, they're probably much more interested in that client. Yeah. Uh, different models. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how much money does someone need to see a financial advisor? Look, um, I used to be a financial advisor. There was a Royal Commission into financial advice. I think a lot of people would benefit massively from going to a financial advisor. Yeah. Uh, the Royal Commission also showed that a lot of people who would have benefited massively from going to a financial advisor got bad and conflicted financial advice and didn't benefit from that. So yeah, okay. it's um. So in terms of getting stiffed by their advisor, sort of thing. Yeah, the, the advisor not necessarily acting in the best interest of the clients, or the advisor not having the skill set to mm-hmm. give the clients the best advice. Yeah. Uh, maybe the advisors were incompetent and just didn't realize how incompetent they were. Yeah. And other advisors might have been competent but greedy yeah. and the client didn't realize how greedy the financial yeah. advisor was. And then you got other financial advisors who were great. Yeah. It's just that so it's a, it's a thing, it's problematic that how does one discern the, the, if someone goes to a financial advisor, it suggests that they maybe don't have the capacity to develop their own financial strategies and they don't yeah. know enough on their own so they go to a professional. How does that person then measure if the professional is doing well or not? I go to a doctor and in fact, I've been to doctors and, and you know, I get gout and I'm not an alcoholic, by the way. It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's what everyone thinks as soon as you say gout, but I, yeah. I do like tomatoes and soft cheese and apparently that's no good. Spinach apparently too. Yeah. But then I, I, I read recently or my wife was telling me it maybe just is, is a kidney problem. It's just, so I, I got to go get that checked. Yeah. I just have a bad kidney. Um, anyway, I've, I've gone to several doctors. I went to one doctor who I paid a lot of money for. In, yeah. in, in in a rich suburb of Canberra and this doctor didn't diagnose gout on three or four visits yeah. and and had no good answers. I, I, I think we maybe did an x-ray of the, the toe and I was, I was without a shoe for four months, I think, and, and not sleeping very well for ages. And then I went to the free doctor at, at uh, the medical center and... And this guy, within 30 seconds, set his gout and gave me a medication and solved the problem. So you go to doctors, you don't necessarily get good advice. Yeah. Same with, same with anything. And, and this is, I guess this is a big thing. And I, I saw a thing on, on Twitter, which I really liked. It was some person putting a tweet out saying, the people you can trust when it comes to finance. And then it just said, nobody. <laughs> don't trust anybody yep. you need to do your own research and be be vigilant yeah and i thought that was really good i mean in, in a perfect world you can trust people but uh, unfortunately we're not in a perfect world so yep. I'm, not, I'm not anti-financial advisor at all i've got friends who are financial advisors in fact i recommend 
some of my friends to see this financial advisor who's a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, I, I I know him and I, and I trust him, but at the same time, there are risks out there, and the royal there was a royal commission into this. Look at the case studies in the royal commission. Yeah. There's there's risks, and unfortunately, you can't just give your trust to somebody. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But anyway, financial strategy, financial advice. This 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 person who who doesn't need to read financial statements. It's not anything to do with their job. I was very surprised that the person didn't because the person's like super nerdy and is you know a bit a smart nerdy guy who's who's into all this sort of stuff. And I was just surprised that a smart nerdy guy who's into this sort of stuff mm. didn't learn to read financial statements. Yeah, but he had no need. He's got other stuff to learn about instead, I guess. Yeah. Uh, cool. So, uh, all right. What's uh, what's in the news in terms of? So, I've noticed. I just looked this morning and noticed that uh, all of the the stocks on my watch list have kind of rebounded, uh, both in Australia and in the US. So, like Berkshire, you know, put on, you know, twenty bucks on Berkshire B, and Toyota's gone back up from you know one hundred and fifty to one sixty five, that sort of thing. Um, but I don't know much of, I guess, why that's happened. Yeah, have you been paying uh, attention in that? Oh, I mean, I can. I got theories about why things have happened. Um, yeah. uh, just, just when Andre, if he, if he's mentioning his stocks, uh, this is a what, what's the date today? Twenty eighth, twenty eighth of May. Yeah, so Andre might hold these stocks on the twenty eighth of May, and he might not hold them on the 29th of May, or or something like that. So if, if a stock's mentioned and someone says they hold it, I mean that's on a specific day, and it maybe would have been. Oh, sorry, yeah, sure. I should held for a specific just my, reason. Just on my watch list. So. Yeah, it might have been held for a specific reason or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, I just again, just because like a dude on a podcast is mentioning the stock doesn't mean you should buy it. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Uh, <clears> I guess it's just it's just a frame of frame of reference. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Um. um because, yeah, Andre's not a professional money manager. And if he was, <laughs> probably, the he probably wouldn't mention stocks, individual <laughs> stocks in the podcast. We still don't know the rules around that. But yeah. like in America, they're always avoiding mentioning individual stocks. Really? And I I'm, mean, just, I'm just paranoid about litigation. I mean, some do. But I think if, you, I think if you're a professional manager, you're maybe right. we can mention it yeah. because we're not professional managers. But I think if you're a professional manager, you can't talk your own book. You can't talk up stocks that you hold. And Renee Rivkin oh, in Australia okay, had this yeah, right, newsletter so and he went to, I think he went to jail for this because he was talking about stocks in a newsletter yeah. and then he was buying them. Um, I think he was buying them. Yeah. There was something about that. Anyway, I don't know the specifics and I don't want to, again, you know, say the wrong thing about Renee Rivkin. Yeah. But there was something where he was accused of being dodgy because he had a newsletter and he was also buying stocks maybe before the newsletter was released or something. I don't know. He went to jail, I think. Yeah. I hope, I mean, I guess I hope he did. I hope I'm not misrepresenting him. Yeah. Um, it, it, when I looked at the case, it, I don't know. It seemed maybe he, he, he wasn't as dodgy as someone who... It, 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 when I saw it, I was like, maybe you shouldn't be going to jail for this. But I was yeah. like 18 or 17 at the time. Yeah. I don't know anything back then. Yeah. Anyway, so the, 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 the point is that if someone holds stocks... In America, I don't think they're allowed to talk about them on podcasts in case other people buy them. Yeah, right. And then they're accused of manipulating the market or something. And I'm just really paranoid, even though no one listens to this, about yeah. getting sued. So yeah, also, cool. don't sue me, Renee Rivkin. I don't actually know what happened yeah. with that. Yeah. People have to do their own research. Even if I say stuff and it sounds like I know what I'm talking about, you should still do your own research. Yeah. Because I'm just some dude on a podcast. Yeah. And, and then when you read it on a website, 
you should do your own research beyond that because it's just some words on a website. Yeah. So always do your own research and don't trust the first thing you hear or read. Yeah, I, I, that's probably this uh, uh, conclusion that I've come to early in terms of, uh, um, I guess a lot of people are looking for like sort of hacks and magic bullets and things like that. Um, but uh, I found, yeah, it's like you've got to do your research but also ultimately just take responsibility for your own decisions, you know. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, if if someone's investing in, they got a portfolio. Obviously, diversification theoretically is a way of managing risk, mm. and and that might be. Oh, look, I'm diversified. I bought all all fifteen major car manufacturers. It's like, yeah. well, is that actually diversification? Because you've got all your money in one asset class, which is shares, yeah. and then within that one asset class, you've got all your money in one industry. Mm. So that that maybe isn't real diversification, mm. um, but diversification is a way of managing risk. Yeah. And and again, what if what if, okay, I've diversified. I've bought all the shares in Australia. I've bought the Australian index. Yeah. It's like oh, okay. Well, you're still in one asset class, which is shares, yep. and you're in one geography. Yeah. Australia. Yeah. So is that really diversification? Uh, if if Australia just sunk into the ocean tomorrow, which it won't, mm. but yeah, it's a metaphor. Then then obviously your shares are, are, are challenged. Imagine having all your shares in Russia or China before they went communist. Yeah, there's there's geography risk there. Yeah. So so diversification. So in terms of diversification in that context, what what does true diversification look like to you? Well. There's this idea that diversification is supposed to smooth out volatility. Mm-hmm. And an, an interesting thing as well, in, in finance talk, when they talk about risk, like high-risk investments, low-risk investments, mm. risk equals volatility. Yeah. So they're not saying you risk losing all your money. Mm-hmm. It's just that you, you risk fluctuation yep. effectively. So, so let's compare a high risk investment which is the stock market right versus a low risk investment which is cash mm-hmm. yeah so one's low risk and one's high risk and this is interesting when I, when I when I was 18 and and started getting money paid into superannuation because I was working in a cafe or whatever I, I got my super fund and it asked me what how I want to invest high risk or low risk or, yeah. or medium risk I'm like oh obviously I'll take low risk why why take why take high risk I don't yeah. want to take risk Risk is bad yeah. um, because the word risk sounds bad. Well, yeah. High risk with all your money. But I didn't know it just meant volatility. Mm. So for years when I was, when I was a you know, young guy, all my money was in cash, in super. Yes. And meanwhile... Well, literally like you chose to keep yeah, the super. The, lowest, <laughs> the lowest, <laughs> lowest risk one. It made sense. It's like, yeah. you know, and, and I learned, obviously, I became a financial advisor, but it, it was like 10 years later, I looked at my super stuff. I'm like, oh, it's all in cash. Low risk. Well yeah. done. Um, but with, well, well done sarcastically. So cash, if I, if I put cash under my blanket when I was 20, right? Let, let's do this actually. The, the ounce of gold yes. and, and the cash thing. Did we talk about buying a man's suit? Was that in one of the other things or was that just a yeah, personal conversation? Yeah, I think we, we've talked about it previously, but we've got new microphones and shit now. So. Yeah, okay. So the idea is that one ounce of gold buys a good man, a, a, well, a well-made suit for a man and has done since Babylon, five, yeah. you know, 5,000 years ago kind of thing. So if, if I put, uh, 
$400 worth of cash in, in the early 2000s mm-hmm. under my blanket, under my doona, under my mattress, sorry, under yeah. my mattress. And I put $400 cash, an ounce of gold, which cost $400, or bought shares, right? The cash is low risk. The gold is slightly less risk because gold does have volatility to it, but, but theoretically not as much as shares. And then I bought the share market. And, and we fast forward, you know, it's, it's not 2020 anymore, it's 2022. Sorry, it's not 2000 anymore, it's 2022. So we've moved, moved forward in time 22 years. My $400 that's under my mattress has much less purchasing power than it did 20 years ago. The ounce of gold buys a nice man's suit, mm-hmm. $2,800 $2, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And the money in the share market is higher as well. I don't know exactly what it would be, compounding and going up and down with the GFC and all that sort of stuff. But for 20 years, it's definitely worth more than $400. Mm-hmm. So shares, which is the riskiest investment, not cash, mm. is worth more 20 years later. Yes. So what's the risk? The, 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 real, the real risk is that you lose purchasing power. The cash equals loss of purchasing power. The gold is supposed to keep up with purchasing power. That, that's it's supposed to buy a man suit at any time in history. And the shares hopefully in, increase wealth. So, so inaccurate branding, you think? Yeah, yeah. So risk is volatility. And uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think the riskiest thing I could have done as a 20-year-old for long-term wealth creation was to put all my superannuation in cash. Yeah. Because you have this thing called inflation generally. Yeah. And, and inflation means that anyone who has savings can buy less with those savings every year. Yeah. So those those cash holdings, like, do you know what sort of, uh, was it doing any growth or is it that sort of- like I can't remember. Half a percent or- And I was getting fees as well. I was probably paying for various insurances <coughs> I didn't understand. And I might've been paying income protection insurance when I was at uni without a job. Yeah. Uh, um, might've been paying income protection insurance when I was overseas. I don't even know yeah. if that would have been valid if I was overseas. Yeah. So there were all these fees would have chewed up yeah. the super fund as well. I can't remember. I just, it was probably peanuts in there. And then I looked and thought, wow, I can't believe I was all cash, low risk. So the long-term risk of holding cash in an environment with inflation yep. is that your purchasing power diminishes long-term. Yeah. So you can buy less in the future than you could today. Yeah. So Which means you're poorer in the future. Yeah. So ca- <clears throat> cash holding timeframes. So like... Uh, um, a lot of, from a lot of the videos I've been watching, people talk about, uh, you know, in particular Warren Buffett, but all these sort of value investing guys talk about, you know, when the market's high, they stay in cash so that, you know, they're, they're able to buy into things um, when things go on sale, per se. Um, it, do you have like a limit on time that you would hold cash like that? Um, well, I mean, from a. I guess to rephrase that, so say I'm someone that doesn't have a big cash reserve, should I be, um, like, is it a better idea to save up to like a big chunk of cash and then invest it or chuck it in as you get it? If you ask what I mean, if you know what I mean. Well, well, I guess I'll answer a different question then. Um, Let's say, and this is with a bit of a financial advisor hat on, Mm. someone's got... $10,000 $10,000 in cash, yes. right? And they say, I, I want to do something with my $10,000 in cash. What should I do? I'm really interested in investing in the stock market. Yeah. I think that's the best long-term growth vehicle mm-hmm. and, and I want to be part of it. 
and and I see on the news the the price going up or the price going down, and that that interests me. Mm. Maybe the financial advisor will say, "Well, do you have any medical expenses coming up?" And the person's like, "Yeah, yeah I'm getting my wisdom teeth taken out in a few months. How much is that going to cost? Four grand." Like, all right, well, should you be putting four of that ten thousand dollars in the stock market when the stock market's incredibly volatile? Yep. Uh, anything else coming up? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm quitting my job. I'm going to be unemployed for about eight weeks. Okay, so if you do you have expenses, yeah, rent and and food and all that sort of stuff. Are you getting any money from any other source? No, no government money, nothing. Okay, so you can't invest all your $10,000 because you need to get your wisdom teeth done and you need to eat and pay rent or or pay mortgage or whatever. Mm -hmm. So depending on your lifestyle or on your life needs, maybe you can't invest any of that $10,000 yet. Uh, Financial advisors often say, as as a general thing, have three months of income in savings for emergencies. And once you've got three months of income in savings, then, then start investing yeah but have this buffer mm-hmm. where you know that no matter what happens you're well, not no matter what happens but in in various scenarios you have money for when you need it yeah you lose your job you've got three months yeah to, to look after yourself you have a medical emergency you got to fly to a funeral in another country something like that mm-hmm. there's money there so would you so you're um your three months or six months expenses or whatever would you, uh, as time goes on, would you index that with inflation? Like add, you know, yeah, maybe with the amount more. So maybe, yeah, who knows? I, I mean, guess the, 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 it has the, to. It has to index with inflation if it's three months' expenses, right? Yeah, because so, uh, so you might have to put more money in the account to to keep up with purchasing power. Yeah, so maybe, just, maybe maybe someone just says, okay, I want ten thousand dollars in the bank, and then yeah. after that, I'm saving. I want twenty thousand dollars in the bank. After that, oh sorry, I want ten thousand in the bank, and after that, I'm investing, or I want yeah. twenty thousand in the bank. Yeah, and after that, I'm I'm investing. Yeah, and. I came across a guy on the internet who who reckons um, to invest anyways, but in liquid stuff that you can sort of, you know, stuff that you can liquidate quickly. Okay, so, so it's kind of the same. Well, 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 yeah, you can liquidate it quickly, but theoretically, if you can liquidate something quickly, it might have more volatility to it as well. Sure, sure. Because there's there's faster price discovery. Yep. So you can't liquidate a house quickly. Yeah. And and there's probably less accurate and and, and speedy mm. price discovery. But you would have had a lot of people, I reckon, um, with this crypto stuff. Yeah. Uh, they they maybe needed their wisdom teeth taken out in a couple yeah. of months. Maybe they needed four thousand dollars. Yeah. And and they put that four thousand dollars in crypto. And for some people, they might have pulled out more than four thousand dollars and and were happy. Other people might have lost some of that money in crypto mm. or a lot of it. Yeah. And they're sitting there with really swollen gums and stuff like that because they can't afford to get their wisdom teeth taken out. So the, 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 the investment horizon will often dictate where you put the money. Mm. If you need money in, in the short term, don't put it in shares yep. because shares can, they can crash. They, they do. Look at what happened with uh, COVID. Look at what happened with the GFC. Look, yep. The Great Depression, apparently it took like 20 years for the share market to recover after that crash or something. So you need a pretty long investment horizon yep. to hold certain asset classes. Mm-hmm. Shares, you think you'd need a long investment horizon. Mm. I, I'm doing renovations yep. and I've seen some stocks that would be so good to buy because they're cheap. Yep. But at the same time, I can't use my renovations money to buy those shares because yep. if the price goes down, then we, we don't get to finish the bathroom. 
Yes. There's a consequence to that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess what does one want money for and mm. what, what what money's a tool. Yep. Right? It's a, it allows us to have things and then there are certain ways this tool can be applied in in the world of investments. But one has to remember that money's a tool and work out what purpose they want it to serve for themselves. Yep. Um so I've got something rigged up here. Can I do an Andy reacts too? Okay. I've got some audio. For do you. I have to do? do I, so you, you're going to play something? I'm going to play something, and uh, then I it, just, it's a short clip, 50, 56 seconds, and then I just like rant about it. Yeah, dude. Uh, and, and you can <laughs> awesome. interrupt. Tell me to pause. Whatever. Okay. But right. um, yep. just uh, I'm not even going to tell you what it is. But you, just, okay. you, uh, it might get given away. But whatever. Here we go. I'm <laughs> proud of the fact I've avoided it. It's like. You know, some venereal disease or something. I just regard it as beneath contempt. Some people think it's modernity and they welcome a currency that's so useful in extortions and kidnappings and so on and so on, tax evasion. And of course, the envy, everybody has to create his own new currency. And I think that's crazy too. So I'm, I'm not having any, I wish it had been banned immediately. And I admire the Chinese for banning it. I think they were right and we, we've been wrong to allow it. We've got a digital currency already. It's called a bank account. <laughs> the banks are all integrated with the Federal Reserve System. We already have a digital currency. Well, the music sways my emotions. <laughs> um, uh, look, obviously Warren Buffett's very successful. And and um, it's going to seem like I'm a Warren Buffett hater, even though that was Charlie Munger. Oh, Charlie Munger. Okay, yeah. yeah. And he was talking about uh, not investing in crypto. Either. Yeah, yeah. He was talking about crypto. Um, yeah, I've I, I got a book, Poor Charlie's Almanac. Yeah. Really good book. Yeah. Uh, recommend it. It's um, it's it's general intelligence and 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 thought building. Poor Poor Charlie's Almanac. Mm. Good good book. Um, anyway, the the thing is Charlie Munger. Um. Coca-Cola isn't good for you either. So cryptocurrencies might have been used in extortion and kidnapping and, and people, you know, make, make money and speculate on this. Uh, it seems like he's trying to play some moral imperative on investing in that. He's making, it seems like he's making a moral judgment about people who use these, these digital assets or, or whatever. Um, yeah, it's Coca-Cola I don't think is very healthy. Coca-Cola, don't sue me. Um, this is just my opinion, <laughs> but, but yeah. I'm, I'm, so maybe maybe you don't invest in Coca Cola like you have for the last forty years, Charlie. Maybe, maybe that's immoral. You know, I think judging other people on where they put their money. And what was the argument? I mean, look, I, I I like to think I made up the term cleptocurrency, but I probably didn't. But I like I want to just put it out there in case I am the first person to use it. So it's um whatever it is in May, and and Andy said cleptocurrency. Klept, yep. klept. <laughs> Have you seen this Thomas Mueller um, thing where he's talking about Robert Lewandowski? No. Oh, so Robert Lewandowski is this like, like the Polish football player? Yeah, super yeah, yeah. awesome football player for um, Bayern Munich mm. these these days. And um, Thomas Mueller is being interviewed, and he says, um, and we call him Robert Lewandowski. 
and no one in the press laughs. So he says Lewandowski again and like, you know, moves his hand forward like gesturing like this is your cue to laugh press and no one laughs. So I was, I was paying homage to Thomas Muller with, yeah. with my repeated yeah. thing there okay. with, with, with the cryptocurrency. Um, watch the clip on YouTube of, of Lewandowski. It's, um, it's gold, I think. Anyway, not, not finance related, but um, yeah, that's, that's my homage to one of my favourite footballers, Thomas Muller. And, and I like Lewandowski a lot too, Lewandowski. Um, anyway, yeah, so um, I've lost my train of thought. But oh yeah, the, 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 the cryptocurrency or whatever. Yep. So look, there, there's a bunch of people who believe that the, there's a path to liberation from centralised power and cryptocurrencies play a, a vital role in that, the liberation from central power. Central power being governments and, and banks and things like that. And there's, there's problems. Governments aren't perfect. Central banks aren't perfect. And I guess if, if, if one thinks on a yeah, maybe, maybe philosophical and political level, if, if there's this idea that it seems to be a bit of a premise in democracy that the individual is sovereign and when you aggregate all these individual ideas then you get something that's approximately suitable for basically everybody, right? And, and, and we do that through voting. So one person might like political party A, one person might like political party B, one person might like political party C, and each of those political parties represent various things. And then we all go and vote. And then all in all, we end up with a political party that, that wins. And that's, that's about right for the population. It's not, it's not just one person, like the smartest person in the country, saying, look, I'm the smartest person in the country, and we should actually all just have political party A ruling. And the rest of the population might end up wanting political party B after an election. So should we centralise that decision-making? Should one person decide which political party rules? It kind of starts to sound like a dictatorship, right? So then you have, in effect, a government in itself is, is a centralised power. It's, it's not distributed and, and there's reasons for that because if everyone had to, if, if power was completely distributed, then are we voting on every single choice, every single policy the government makes? Like that would be highly inefficient, right? Uh, they they want to do a minor change to the tax code. The entire country needs to, to vote on that. Highly inefficient. Mm. So, so there's this centralization. But with the centralization, there, there's problems. In, in the same way that having a dictatorship is problematic. It's, it's not a dictatorship. It's, it's a representative democracy, but they're there for four years. Mm. It's, not, it's not like they just get removed the next day if, if, they, if they do something we don't like. It's checks and balances and all that sort of stuff. But governments, governments are, are flawed, right? Uh, it's, uh, what did Churchill say? It's, um, it's democracy is a terrible system, but it's the best one available or something like that. So the, the idea that maybe a lot of things can be more evenly distributed and remove whatever hazards you get from centralized power, whether that's governments or banks and, and cryptocurrencies are a path to that. That, that, that. that sounds like a nice idealistic thing and maybe there's a good practical application as well. I mean, history goes in cycles. Uh, look at Rome. It went, it went from something that was more democratic to something that was more dictatorial and, and it seems like these pendulums swing. Uh, the, the counter to centralised authority 
is, is, is in a way some sort of check and balance. And, and maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe this is a good thing to, to remove all the centralized uh, controls o- over, over money and economics. But on the other hand, what you see is scammers and crooks and, and nefarious activity. Uh, it's, it's constantly mentioned when you see mainstream sources of media, the nefarious activity involved in cryptocurrency. It's like what people were, you know, buying cocaine from Colombia in the 70s with cryptocurrency. All, yeah, all, find, all, all, all these, all these drugs on the streets yeah. for, from the 50s onwards or whatever, that was all done with cryptocurrency? Yeah, well, I find, like, yeah, I, I find that one of... Uh, I think Charlie mentioned that in that, that clip there. He's like, oh, it facilitates murder and blah, blah, blah. But like, uh, didn't they just use cash for that? Yeah, like, that's right. The US dollar probably facilitated lots of murder yeah. and, and crime as well. So... Like my, Breaking my, Bad, they lie on the... That's what, mattress of cash and the- yeah so you don't ban the us dollar for that you don't you don't, you don't see i mean some people see it as a, as a bad thing uh, it's a means of exchange uh, i think if people if people want if consenting adults <laughs> it's uh, not going down the path it might sound like if, if consenting adults want to do something and and they're not breaking the law then then theoretically that, that should be okay and if people want to exchange their time on the in the digital sphere for digital tokens of cryptocurrency and it's not harming anyone then that's fine oh, okay it's harming people because there's fraud and all that sort of stuff yeah. okay well well obviously the legal things are bad and fraud's bad and and the spruiking of these things on yeah. mainstream channels uh, media and things like that you get celebrities spruiking cryptocurrency so there's this integration between the mainstream and 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 this thing that's trying to break the molds of convention. Anyway, I I, I I can't dismiss it the way Charlie Munger seems to be dismissing it and saying he wishes yeah. it never happened. I mean, there'd be people saying, "I wish democracy never happened," as well. Yeah. Maybe Charlie Munger's right, but. Maybe a benevolent dictator is is better than a a weak democracy, yep. but at the same time, as someone who's more aligned to the principles of democracy and individual choice, I'm I'm not mad at, at the whole crypto space. I think I'm mad at the dodginess that happens in the crypto space. But I, I just spent time talking before about the Royal Commission into Financial Advice. Yep. So it happens everywhere. Uh, I think Charlie Munger and I can probably both agree that. People shouldn't be dishonest and all that sort of stuff. But uh, to, to to blame to blame cryptocurrency for moral hazard, I think yep. moral hazard's there. Mm-hmm. And and when there's money involved, moral hazard shows itself more. Yeah. And if there's money in cryptocurrency, you'll see moral hazard there, just like that you see moral hazard in in the other worlds of finance. Yep. Um, it's other worlds of finance are more regulated. Yep. Than cryptocurrency, but regulation is problematic too because. If someone's got the tick of the regulators, the average person's like, oh, okay, I'll trust that person. I'll, I'll, trust, I'll trust the person with the tick of approval by the regulators. Uh, the regulators probably haven't vetted the person especially well. Lots of financial advisors had licenses. They were regulated and they ended up being dodgy and there's a Royal Commission into it. So it was regulated though and there's a Royal Commission because of all the failures. So regulation doesn't necessarily solve things either. Still have to... Again, do your own research and the only person in the world of finance you trust is yourself. And how do you learn to trust yourself? You get educated. Yep. So that's my reaction to that. Yeah, cool. Um, have you come across any, any, any cool cool content in, in the past little while? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Hey, Coldman, I might turn the heater on. Um, 
I, I, I take screenshots and and uh, on yeah, Twitter and stuff like they, that. They are very hilarious. And I send them to you. So who's the, who's that other number in the in the conversation? Oh, uh, I can't remember. Is it? Oh, there, there's I, one. Convers- yeah, my brother-in-law, I think. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, he's um, he's a bit interested in this finance stuff too. I don't know if I, I send him the the funny ones. And it's a tricky thing too because I don't want to send things that might bias the education or the learning he's doing. Um, yeah. Oh, this, this is the thing on trust. So it's Travis dot web one at color ad o Travis. Just watch this bear. A bear, someone uh, in the world of finance. A bear, someone who thinks the price of things are going to go down, and a bull, someone who thinks the price is going up. In Wall Street, there's this like bull on the street, apparently a statue of a bull. Um, Just watch this bear who has been all caps raging for days. Post a list of accounts you can really trust. So accounts on Twitter you can really trust. Let's talk briefly about who you can trust to tell you where to put your money. Nobody. You're alone in the dark with only your discernment as a weapon. Good luck though. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. I've got some charts and things. I should put this online. I sent you an image as well, didn't I? Um, this this was a, a probably from Twitter as well. I waste too much time on Twitter, but it's um, it's one ounce of gold coin twenty twenty is seventeen hundred and seventy dollars, and there's a big pile of dollars, and then one ounce U.S. gold coin nineteen thirty three twenty dollars and sixty seven cents. So that 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 shows the risk of holding cash for a long period of yep. time versus gold, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in, yeah, I can't. I can't think of any great, interesting things. I mean, yeah, the the volatility. Oh, by the way, you, you mentioned you know the the various um stocks have been going up a little bit recently. Yeah, only just I mean because I've been watching them sort of go south since since the beginning of the year sort of thing, and it's probably the first uptick that I've that I've observed. Okay, yeah, and I don't know why prices of stocks go up and down in the short term. Really, yeah, it's maybe people are more confident to invest, and then other days they're less confident. Yeah, confident, confident to invest. Sorry, I find it uh, inter- uh, pretty hectic how reactive it can be. Like when um, when the uh, war in Ukraine kicked off, and it was literally like one one or two days later, the the gold price went from like twenty five fifty to like twenty eight hundred, and then as soon as it like the, the news cools down, then the price back down. It's like yeah, and uh, then but with COVID, it took ages, I think, for the market to crash. Yeah. I, was, I was really annoyed at myself for not... I was too busy working. Yeah. And I was... I was, I, was uh, I would have expected a, a market crash, but just it kind of just put my head in the sand and went back to work because yeah. I, was, I was working full-time at the time, I think. And and then the market crashed and I was like, I knew it was going to crash. I really should have done something about that, but it was, it was too busy working. So they reacted, I guess, maybe quicker to the Ukraine thing. Reacted quicker to the Ukraine thing than, than perhaps COVID. But yeah, volatility, market goes up and down because it does. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess it just, there's so much energy in, in that market. It can't sit still and stay flat. So I was trying to look, uh, I saw a thumbnail and I didn't investigate it more, but um, Mark Bury or Bury, whatever, the big short guy. Oh, yeah. Um, he's talking about the, in terms of the current correction, he, he feels like the, the S&P will go down to like 1800. So it'll do like a, like a full, half chop sort of thing okay yeah there are some smart people who say that as well um green blatt is that his name oh 
some some elderly gentleman who's very very switched on and um he he's been calling for a major correction too and he's he's got some really good arguments around it too i'll have to remember the guy's name i think if we do these podcasts and then i remember at the end of the episode yeah can can put the list of names but um yeah really 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 smart successful investor um and and he thinks that there, there will be a big correction if if you want to do your own research I'm pretty sure he was a venture capitalist in a company. I will tell you the name of in a second. And then you can find him that way. Or you're, on, you're in front of the computer. Also, yeah. So Mark Rory, uh, he uh, also shorted Apple, I saw. Well, okay. So did I text you that thing saying short Apple during the week? Or maybe that was where I read it. But I was No, I came across a YouTube video. Okay. So there's a guy yeah. called Peter Zihan who's a geopolitical strategist kind of guy whose yep. theories are very influenced by geography and demographics, basically yep. trying to predict the course of the world in terms of politics and geopolitics based on the geography of countries and, and the demographics of countries. And he was talking about the lockdowns in China with COVID that all of North China is effectively locking down. Yes. And I sent a text out to a couple of friends with a link to this talk by Peter Zihan or an article by Peter Zihan and then saying, short Apple, question mark. Because if Apple's getting all this stuff manufactured in China and the major factories of China are shutting down because of COVID, what does that do to Apple? Sorry, I was going to hit with a paywall. I was trying to look at an article. So, so yeah, that's... um. It's uh, second order consequences is, is 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 something to look at. So, COVID in China. If if they're doing lockdowns, that obviously affects China. But what else does it affect? And it affects companies who have all their all their stuff manufactured in China, or who have critical components they can't get elsewhere manufactured in china any any company that's reliant on china manufacturing if china has prolonged lockdowns could be affected so that's a second order consequence of of chinese lockdowns the impact it could have on a company like apple which i believe is is very heavily reliant on china for manufacturing so that's why i sent this zaihan article in a short short china question mark and short means um selling Saying the share, you believe in the share price is going down and ultimately acting on it by shorting the stock, selling shares you don't own um, with the expectation the price goes down, then you buy them back cheaper later and return them to whoever did own them. And, and when you're shorting, you, you will pay someone to borrow their shares. So, Andre, can I borrow your shares in Apple? Okay, Andrew. And then I'll give you 3% interest per annum or whatever it is for the privilege. So, you're happy to get the interest. And knowing you get the Apple shares returned to you at some point, hopefully. Uh, I go and short the Apple shares. I go sell them on the market and then I hope the price drops. And if the price drops 20%, I buy the shares back and say, here are your Apple shares, Andre, plus the 3% interest I owed you. You're happy, I'm happy. And that's it. That's, that's, that's short selling. Yeah. Naked short selling is, uh, I think, when there's like no actual shares backing it and somehow it's just a, a thing where shares I, I think during the gfc during the gfc it was happening somehow institutions were able to sell shares they weren't even borrowing off the andres of the world and 
And that was apparently very problematic. Naked short selling, which apparently is illegal. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess because maybe you have to give the contract in three days' time or four days' time. Maybe you're hoping to sell it on day one and buy it back on day two and no one, no one notices. Yeah. It's all just done as a, a, a bookkeeping thing rather than physical change of shareholding contracts. They never get caught. But then if the price goes the wrong way too much, you sold these shares, you, you need to have these shares. I don't, I don't have the shares. Yeah. Or you make a short selling, which I think is illegal. Yeah. So, um, so this guy's shorting Apple and Warren Buffett's buying more Apple. Yep. Um, if, uh, I guess wondering uh, what the relationship is between, you know, a guy that's very successful and has predicted big things going bad uh, before, um, why wouldn't Warren Buffett see that? Well, or is that just that sort of volatility long-term thing you're talking about? They probably have different... Sorry, there's probably actual... if. Anyone actual finance knowledge listens to this, they're probably pulling their hair out. They, they probably have different ways they invest and different goals from their investments yeah. and, and different portfolios as well. Yeah. So in Warren Buffett's portfolio, Apple might make perfect sense. And in Jury's portfolio, mm. shorting, Apple might make perfect sense. They might yeah. have different outcomes they want. Yeah. Uh, Warren Buffett's, he bought Apple cheap. Yeah. So maybe he doesn't want to sell and pay tax on it. Yeah. Because once he's paid tax on the sale, he can't buy them back at the same yeah. price. He has to, if he, if he sells the Apple shares at say, he bought them at 120, sells them at 250, mm. he's got to pay tax on the gains. Yeah. Technically, he can't use that exact same money after tax to buy the shares back in Apple at 250 yeah. because he only has 230 after tax or something. So Warren Buffett might not want to speculate on, on, on the Apple thing and is comfortable holding it. I think he can weather any storms. And jury maybe thinks, well, Apple's worth selling. Yeah. And maybe maybe jury monitors his position a lot more yeah. closely than Buffett, mm-hmm. whereas Buffett buys it and thinks, I'll look, in, I'll look every three months when they do their quarterlies or whatever. And, yeah. and, and jury's willing to get in and out faster. I, I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not two smart people doing opposite things and then us observing that. Yeah. It's... Maybe one's right, one's wrong. Maybe yeah. they're both right-ish. Yeah. Maybe they're both wrong-ish. Yeah. I guess it depends on the circumstances. Yeah. So one one thing I've been uh, uh, thinking about over the over the week is salary sacrifice into uh, into my super. Yeah. Because um, I think after we after our last conversation, you mentioned that it's one of the uh, most effective things you can do to in terms of uh, starting to invest in your long-term wealth? Yeah, um, so in Australia, yeah. It, it's, yeah, in, in, in Australia, we have composed... Oh, sorry, I interrupted. Oh, no, no, I just wanted to, to, to um, uh, finish up with a, a question on top of that that's like, um, when I'm... If I do choose to do that, does that have any effect on the marginal tax rate that I'm paying? So, like, if I chuck... Uh, I don't know... Uh, the money that I go that I put into salary sacrifice for super does that uh, change my taxable income? I guess. Uh, sorry if I can't phrase that question. No, it's, it's phrased perfectly fine. Um, so there's an app. 
I don't know if everyone can access this app, but probably probably can. I think it's called the Macquarie, like Macquarie Bank, Little Black Book. Yeah. Uh, I'm just opening this app and I'll, I'll refer to that when, when I say what I'm saying. So Little Black Book, my, my Macquarie Bank, um, it's got tax rates and all that sort of stuff. So I look at the personal income tax rates. If someone earns up to $18,200, they pay $0 in tax. Yes. Right? If you earn... Eighteen thousand two hundred one to forty-five thousand dollars. You pay nil up to eighteen thousand two hundred, and then nineteen percent of the difference between eighteen thousand two hundred one and forty-five thousand dollars. Yeah, and then from forty-five thousand to one hundred twenty thousand dollars, or forty-five thousand and one to one hundred twenty thousand dollars, you pay five thousand dollars tax, and then thirty-two percent of every dollar over forty-five thousand and one dollars. Right. So I'll say that again for because uh, I worded it poorly initially. You don't pay any tax up until eight thousand eighteen thousand two hundred dollars. Yep. From eighteen thousand two hundred one dollars to forty five thousand dollars, you pay nineteen percent. So every dollar you earn over eighteen thousand two hundred one is taxed at nineteen percent. Yep. Right. And then when you reach forty five thousand dollars, every dollar you earn over forty five thousand dollars is taxed at 32%, Yep. right? And then when you get to $120,000, every dollar you earn at $120,000 is taxed at 37%. Yep. So if you're earning $150,000 a year, you're paying 19% for part of that, mm-hmm. 32.5% for part of that, and 37% for part of that. And your marginal tax rate is 37%. That's, that's, that's where the you're you're paying tax for every dollar you earn yep. over under twenty thousand yep. dollars. So in superannuation law in Australia, unless things have changed, I haven't looked at it for a while, but I'm pretty sure this is stable. When someone makes what's called a concessional contribution into superannuation, which is what salary sacrificing is into superannuation, they are saying to their employer, instead of paying money into my bank account for personal use i want you to put some of my salary into superannuation for me and that's a concessional contribution and the tax rate for that contribution by the employer is 15 percent all right so if my marginal tax rate is 37 percent because i'm earning over one hundred twenty thousand dollars, then i'm effectively swapping a 15 percent tax rate money goes into super 15 percent for a 37 percent tax rate money goes into my own pocket mm-hmm Right, so to, to, to say that again, if I put money into super, I pay 15% yep. to get it into super. Yep. If money goes in my own pocket, yep. I'm paying 37% tax to get it in my own pocket. Yep. And, and what that looks like, interestingly, is um, if you get a calculator and do one divided by 0.85, so one divided by 0.85, which is... Um, one minus fifteen percent. To save a dollar into super, you need to earn a dollar seventeen point six, mm-hmm. right? So you need to earn a dollar eighteen, yep, or thereabouts, to have a dollar of savings in super. If your marginal tax rate is thirty seven percent, you do one divided by point six three. You need to earn a dollar fifty eight to save a dollar in your own pocket. Yeah, well, we. 
So that's that's the appeal of putting money into superannuation to have the exact same dollar of savings in your own pocket or into super. In one case, you need to earn a dollar seventeen. In the other case, if your marginal tax rate is thirty seven percent, you need to earn a dollar fifty eight okay. or dollar fifty eight point seven. Wow. So, and, and do you know if there's any limits on on? There are limits. Yeah. Um, it, I th- last I I know it was twenty five thousand dollars per year. Yeah. And that's your that's in total. So your employer will be putting at least nine and a half percent in. I think that's a law minimum of nine and a half percent. Some employers put more in. Um, so what they do plus what you do as concessional contributions, it I think it's twenty five thousand. But you probably want to check if you're doing this, everybody. Really? So so like their contributions plus my contributions can only have add up to twenty five grand in a year. Yeah, as concessional contributions. Once it goes over twenty five thousand dollars, instead of getting that fifteen percent tax rate, I think it goes to forty nine percent tax rate. Or something. Yeah, right. It goes to the highest marginal tax rate, and the reason that yeah. was done is because you'd have people with lots of spare money, mm. and they just pump it into super in the old days. Yeah. So imagine you got some guy earning six hundred thousand dollars a year. He's got everything he needs. He's mm. swimming in money, mm. and he's like, "All right, I'll put it into super instead of paying forty nine percent tax or whatever. I'll pay fifteen percent tax." Yeah, sure, sure. And then the, it's just using a superannuation is supposed to help prov- people provide for themselves in retirement. Yeah. And and people uh, use that to just boost their savings yeah. massively. Yeah. And the government saw that as a bit of a tax advantage people were, were taking with the system and tried to close that by yeah. saying, okay, it's, it's a cap to $25,000 now. Yeah, okay. Oh, so it's not like you can't. You can put yeah. more in. You just pay uh, his extra tax. Yeah, okay. there's, 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 there's no tax advantage. And I think if anything, there's a tax penalty. There might be other penalties on top of that as well. But it, it basically, it's, it's, it's a negative decision to put money into super yeah. above $25,000 because of the tax consequences and, and yeah. maybe other penalties too, yeah. in general. Maybe you've got specific circumstances where it works, but I, mm. like, I haven't seen any in my career as a financial advisor. Yeah. Man, that, man, that seems, like a, seems like a pretty good deal, I reckon. Like in terms of uh, when you put it in, in, in terms like that, you know, the, the money to save a dollar. Yeah, and... Know. Sounds mad. Yeah, I think that's a really good framework. How much how much do you need to actually earn yeah. to save a dollar? To have yeah. a dollar in some environment, whether it's your pocket or in super or whatever else, how much you actually have to earn? Yeah, it makes me feel a bit silly actually because what, what, what I did recently is I upped my, uh, through, through my super account, I upped my insurances. So like total disability, uh, income protection, life insurance and things like that and supplemented I guess the extra money they were taking out with just each each pay, I chucked in an extra just through like as a personal contribution. Um, but obviously paying the tax. Are that. you paying the tax on that though? Or it's just out of my regular salary. So like I didn't do a salary sacrifice. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so if it's out of your regular salary, there's every chance it's still a concessional contribution. The government changed the rules a couple of years ago where, and I think it's still the case, but someone but didn't I pay tax to get that money though? Like you know what I mean? Sort of. Oh, you're doing it after tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like literally, it's like a, uh, you know my paycheck comes in. Yeah. Um, and then all my all my weekly payments go out on the Friday, and one of them is super that yep. that, that contributes to an amount plus a little bit to offset the cost of those insurances. Yeah. Um, basically, that was the first. Um, I didn't really investigate. I just thought, oh, that's going to cost that much extra a week. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's going to cost that much extra a week, and um, 
Well, Andre, yeah. there might be some good news around that. You might have been doing concessional contributions without realizing it. You can call your super fund and check with them. But the government changed the rules, and I think they're still in place, where if an individual makes contributions into super yeah. out of their own pocket, yeah. at they can they can if they've told the super fund it's a concessional contribution, then that's all worked out between the super fund and the tax office yeah. and it's done at the fifteen percent. So, so, so that'll come out in the wash during well, tax well, returns. Yeah, or theoretically. So just check with your super fund and say, I've been putting money into super. Mm-hmm. I just want to confirm these are concessional contributions. Yeah. And if it's if they say yeah, they're concessional contributions, then in theory that should be taxed at 15% and that will get sorted out when you do your tax return. Yeah, okay. Um, there's another kind of contribution called a non-concessional contribution. I think they're called concessional contributions because it's a tax concession. The 15% tax is a tax concession. Yes. 15% tax is better than 38 or 39 or yeah. 37% tax, whatever I yeah. said before. So I think of it that the, you've got a concession, you've got a discount on your tax. That's why it's called a concessional contribution. Yeah. Um, there's also non-concessional contributions and the limit for non-concessional contributions is much higher. It's a, I can't remember what it is now, but it was a, it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yep. And people might do that because when money, when earnings are made in superannuation, the earnings are also taxed by and large at 15%. So if someone's got heaps of money and heaps of assets they might think, well, I'm paying a lot of tax on the investments I have because it's my marginal tax rate. I'd rather put that in super and then have that taxed at the superannuation tax rate. And they might put a big chunk of money in and, and that's a non-concessional contribution. They'll nominate that as a non-concessional contribution to their super fund. Yep. And there's no tax that go, there's no tax for that. They've already yep. paid tax on it. Yeah. So, you know, to, to, to get the... $100,000 they're doing as a non-concessional contribution. They might have had to earn $138,000 or whatever it is. Yeah. So they've already paid tax for that money. It doesn't get taxed again going into super. Yeah. And it gets the, the nice tax environment of super after yep. that. But they can't pull it out until retirement age or meeting another condition of release. Yeah. So that's the thing. You put your money in super, you can't get it out whenever you want. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a bank account. It's, it's held there. And unless you meet a condition of release, it stays in super. Yeah. And the standard condition of release is retirement. Yep. So a 20-year-old might not be so keen to do salary sacrifice. Yeah. And even though it's a, there's a potential tax advantage, they might say, well, I, I reject that tax advantage because the consequence of that tax advantage is having my money effectively held away from me until I retire, which yep. is in 45 years from yeah. now. So people often getting close to retirement really start pushing money into super through salary sacrifice. Yeah. Whereas, whereas younger people might say, well, I'm, I'm saving for holidays or a house deposit or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I think you can also now use super for house deposits or at least there's some super savings scheme or they might've been at one stage. Yeah. One would have to investigate that themselves. Yeah. I'm a bit out of the loop on this finance, uh, the, 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 the finance potentialities through superannuation. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, I've are you familiar with the uh, financial personality Dave Ramsey? He's like no. He's an American guy. He's like a preacher, but, but like he's, from what I can gather, his basic philosophy is like no debt, so no credit cards. Um, uh, and the main debt you would have, which is probably buying a house, he, 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 um, that's what you should concentrate on paying off, but like before you invest. Um, and um, I guess what made me think of that is... Uh, 
Um, so, I mean, investing in a business, uh, but I'm borrowing money for it, right? Um, and what what do you think is? Uh, well, I guess I'm, I'm tossing up between, you know, do I keep investing on the side, like sort of uh, while I'm paying this loan off, or do I just smash this loan as hard as I can? What's interest sense? rate on the loan, Andre? Uh, it's quite high. It's eight point nine. Okay, so by paying off your loan, yep, you're getting a guaranteed return of eight point nine percent. Yep. Whereas so, if you if yeah. you put money in the stock market, yeah, you have a possible return of anything, yeah, but the average is around ten percent, yeah. So what would you rather, a guaranteed return of eight point nine percent or a possible return that might average long term ten percent? Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I came across a perspective from someone where they're like, well, if you can do an investment that outruns that interest rate, then just let that that loan tick away and you can grow your money sort of outrun it you know so say that you got the 8.9 percent you've got an investment that does 10 or 12 or something like yep. that and um well i mean yeah that, that, that's that's got merit if if you're willing to take that risk yeah it's just got to do with risk tolerance yeah um yeah at 8.9 percent it's a pretty good return yeah so this is it's, it's it's pretty close to the stock market average and it's yep. it's, it's certain yeah. So I would prefer a certain eight point nine percent return to a maybe ten percent return yeah. personally, but yeah, that's yeah. that that's my circumstances and yeah. my risk profile. Your risk yeah. profile might be you're willing to to take more risk than I am. Yeah. Around that. Yeah. I, I'm, but I, the framework is you're swapping a guaranteed eight point nine percent return by paying off a loan that's charging eight point nine percent interest. Yeah. yeah. Um, for a, a possible return in, in the stock market. You have no idea what the return will be. Mm-hmm. It might be within a range, but you have no way of predicting it. Yep. So is a certain 8.9% return pref- preferable to you to whatever return you might get in the stock market? Yeah, yeah. And, and that would be how I would, I would approach that. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's, people's answers might be different based on their risk tolerance, their time they have the amount of debt they have yeah where where the debt is held what's wrong if the, what happens to you if you can't pay the debt yeah that sort of stuff yeah like let's say that you've um staked your two kidneys as collateral sure for the debt yes then maybe it's like well the consequence of failing in this debt is very high yeah i want to eliminate that debt as soon as possible yeah Whereas if you staked my two kidneys, <laughs> maybe you're not too worried. Who wants these gouty kidneys anyway? Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. And I don't think I have anything else. You got anything else you want to want to discuss? Uh, I guess there's there's a book called The Millionaire Next Door. I think. Yeah. I think that's the name of the book, the million, the millionaire next door, and and that's got a bunch of stuff about financial habits and financial yeah. hygiene. Yeah. And I think that's that's a book I'd like to tell people to check out and read. Yeah. Um, and and just as an interesting thought, all right. So we talked about uh, the you earn a dollar seventeen. You have to earn a dollar seventeen to have a dollar savings in super. Yes. Because of the fifteen percent tax yeah. rate and the concessional contributions, and you have to earn if if you're earning you know say one hundred and fifty grand a year, then to have a dollar in super you have to earn. I'll do it again. Um, one divided by point. Three, you have to earn a dollar fifty-eight, yeah. right? So, with that in mind, imagine you've got someone earning one hundred and fifty grand a year, and someone earning eighteen grand a year, where they pay no tax. Mm. Okay, 
and they go to a restaurant together and they order the exact same meal, which is $50 each, right? Mm. How much did it actually cost the guy on 150 grand a year versus the guy on 18 grand a year? Mm. So the guy paying 18 grand a year had to earn $50 to pay for the $50 meal. Yeah. Right? The guy earning 150 grand a year had to earn $50 times 1.58 to pay for the meal. You could argue what, what bracket you bought it from, right? Well, no, it's the top bracket. It always slices off the highest marginal tax rate yeah. first. Oh, yeah, of course, because it ends up the whole amount ends up having an average tax rate from all of the brackets. Right? Well, yeah, it averages eventually, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, the, the marginal tax rate for these guys, 37%. Mm. So the meal cost him maybe 37% more than the other guy. The exact same meal at 50 bucks. They already bucks. do tax the rich. Huh? Like, like AOC says, tax the rich. They yeah. do it already. Well, well, I mean, the rich pay taxes. But it's just an interesting concept in terms of um, financial hygiene that uh, a higher... A higher income earner had to earn more dollars yeah. to pay for the $50 meal than a lower income earner. Yeah. And obviously, people would still prefer to be the higher income earner yeah. in general. But yeah. in terms of um, the penny saved as a penny earned, yeah. a penny saved for the person on the really high marginal tax rate is worth more yeah. than penny saved for the person on the low marginal tax rate. Yeah. Speaking of uh, financial hygiene, um, credit cards. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think of credit cards? Do you like? Do I'm you, not a fan at all. I think like the more I, speaking from someone, who, uh, I got myself in a lot of lot of rub, a lot of trouble with credit cards, and uh, and it took me years to get out of it, and um, and especially in retrospect, like I just don't understand the function of them because uh, you know people talk about oh you know protects you from if someone takes. You can dispute a transaction and it gives you rewards and stuff like that. But I don't think they're very uh, helpful when it comes to disputing transactions. I, ha- yeah. I had one I had to call up about the other day and they're like, yeah. oh, well, you can write this letter and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I'm not going to do all this work for an $8 yeah. transaction. Yeah. And, well, the thing I, I, I found, it, it just, the, they put you, they give you the, they allow you to be in transactions you have no right to be in, in terms of like, um, yeah, they, they allow you to spend money that literally you don't have and you're probably not going to be able to, to cover in, in, a, in, a, in a cycle of pay or, or, or anything like that. Yeah, and a lot of people don't understand that the minimum repayments on the credit card doesn't mean you're paying off your debt. It just That's, a, dude, and, <laughs> that's and you staying in debt and just paying off an amount they're happy to accept. Dude, uh, I, I saw, because they, they must have had some, some review, because I remember at some point uh, on the statements, they started telling you how long it would take to, to pay it off at the minimum repayment long time man there was you know 30 40 years or something like that yeah and yeah. tell you the amount of interest that you would pay but um well, well okay with that okay someone someone listening to us yeah has ten thousand dollars in credit card debt yeah and they're paying 22 percent interest on that yeah and they've got ten thousand dollars in the bank they want to invest yeah by paying that credit card debt off, yeah. you're getting a guaranteed 22% return. Yes. Which is much better than the long-term average of the stock market. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's something that's right so you, there. So you, I, I, in, in a roundabout where you are investing. You, well, you're getting a return <laughs> yeah. and, and that's why people put money in the stock market for a return. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, you're, you're not getting kneecapped 22% or yeah. whatever. 
Um, so yeah, that's that's a, a good point in financial hygiene. But I'm, I'm very anti credit cards. Um, yeah. In 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 the corporate world, Apple is probably paying like I don't know two percent per annum. If they borrowed a billion dollars or ten billion dollars, they're probably paying two percent per annum, right? Yeah. You're you're paying eight and a bit percent per annum, mm. right? Mining companies they're probably paying close to eight percent per annum. Yeah. The company that needs the money the least, Apple, mm. is paying the lowest interest rate. Yeah. And that happens yeah. because they're the most likely to pay it back. They're the least risky yes. to lend to, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you're using credit cards and you're paying 22% interest or whatever it is, the bank's telling you something about how they see you and your financial position. Yeah. They're saying they see you as the riskiest, worst financial position. Yeah. Someone who's doing a mortgage pays 4%, but yeah. you... You're so risky in our opinion. Yeah. We're going to charge you twenty two percent. Yeah. So so if 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 you're that unlendable, mm. that might mean you need to get your financial house in order. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very anti credit cards, and um, I hear millennial bashing every now and then. Whereas my belief is, and I think it's based on reality, is that millennials are actually really savvy and smart, and heaps smarter than our, you know. What are we, Gen X or yeah. so Gen what, Y? What, what, what's a typical millennial bash? Oh, um, millennials waste all their money in cryptocurrency and don't have a house and yeah. they eat avocados. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really channeled that well. Um, <laughs> yeah, so but my understanding is that um, millennials are actually – really good at saving and not wasting money compared to generations that preceded them. Yeah. Like I think Gen X's might be like really bad financially compared to millennials. Yeah. So um, millennials apparently aren't into credit cards. Yeah. And that's why you've got the afterpay and all that sort of stuff uh, emerging because millennials are like, no, no, credit cards are terrible. Smoking? They don't smoke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They don't see they don't drink as much as our generation as well. Yeah. Like apparently it's like, you know, not a big thing to go out and get like drunk when you're a millennial. Yeah. Whereas when I was younger, that's that's what you do on so a weekend. So you're saying these short these short term loans are um like these these afterpay kind of jobbies, they're they're marketed at millennials? Well, probably, but also millennials I think use them a lot. Yeah. Okay. But uh, my understanding is that it's a lot better than credit card debt. I don't yeah. think you're racking up ten thousand dollars in debt on afterpay yeah. and not knowing about it. Yeah, and the interest rate I think is a lot lower. So with with these afterpays, can you get in in trouble with them? I or think if you fail to pay, yeah, then they cut you off. Yeah. Okay. Also, oh, they just boot you out the door. That's yeah. Or you get like a warning or something like that. Yeah. But but from what I've seen, they are much 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 more financially responsible yeah. for the end consumer than credit cards. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's uh, there, there was talk that their business... So just to clarify what happens with Afterpay or something like that. So it's basically my understanding is I'm a shop yep. and I want to sell something and the person who wants to buy it off me yep. wants to use Afterpay to buy it because yep. Afterpay allows the person to make the purchase over four payments. Yep. So it could be like lay-by. Um, yeah, so it's like lay-by, but you get it first. A bit like lay-by. So yeah, I, so I go, I go and buy a TV for $2,000, like afterpay it, and I do four payments of $500. Yep. The shop has to pay afterpay 4% or something of the purchase. So I buy a TV for $2,000. Mm. The shop doesn't get the whole $2,000. 4% goes to afterpay. 96% goes to the shop. But the shop's happy because they got a sale they wouldn't have otherwise got. 
because I didn't have the money for the yeah. TV. And for me, I'm not mad because I got the TV now mm. and I get to pay it off over four payments. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I can't just go to another shop and say I want to buy another TV. Yeah. I think Afterpay's like, hang on a minute. You've yeah, already done okay. a little bit of spending today. Yeah. And you can do you can do a bit more spending, but you've got a bracket at which we're willing to lend to you. Yeah. And you have to demonstrate reliability and worthiness to move into a higher bracket. Mm. But even then I think it's not like they don't let you cap up heaps and heaps, I think. Yeah. I, I don't use afterpay. Yeah. I've used PayPal paying for yeah. um before. Um, which is the same concept, yep. I think, or by and large, I yep. paid over four payments. Um, but yeah, I, 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 last few times I did PayPal paying four. I think I didn't like having the debt, so I just paid it off in a big chunk anyway. Yeah, but but it's the same concept. I, I, I get the impression from what I understand with Afterpay is, is they're not they don't let you get yourself in heaps of debt. I could be wrong. Yeah, but they seem like they're better than credit cards for that. Yeah. Okay. And the yeah. interest rate, I think, is lower as well. Yeah. Because credit cards... And are... I don't think they charge you interest if you pay it back in four payments. Like, if you pay it back within eight weeks, I don't think you get charged interest. Yeah, okay. Because the shop pays the 4%. I think that's where they make their money. Yeah. And if they're recycling that 4%, so eight weeks to pay it back, yep. and that's two months, right? Mm. And Afterpay gets a 4% cut on the transaction. They're effectively getting 4% six times a year yeah potentially so they're getting a 24 percent return on that yeah for, for the, and obviously they got expenses and everything like that but that's kind of like a credit card return yeah anyway yeah it's just it doesn't seem to be as bad for the consumers mm-hmm. yeah but do your own research i don't use afterpay yeah yeah okay yeah um man i think that's that's of of uh that's a wrap that's a wrap i reckon that, yeah that's that kind of cool with the, the new equipment and stuff and yeah uh, yeah I always did think I sound like Sean Connery and now I know I don't. <laughs> um, More like Ben Connery. I don't even know who Ben Connery is. Hi, Ben. Oh, let's put it on some outro music. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Gotta come up with a song. We need South Park to come up with a song for us. Um, 